would take your Bible and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. <clears throat> Appreciate the Sunday school lesson this morning. You know, you know I don't, people say I shouldn't talk about political things, but it reminded me of our president. You know, despite whether we're going through difficult trials or tests or not, we need to be relentless in doing what is right. I don't know if you saw our president has appointed a judge for the what is it, Seventh Circuit to replace Judge Barrett. He's not, he's not backing down. He just keeps fighting. You know, that's a good picture of how we need to be in the Christian walk. We just need to keep fighting. Keep following the Lord. Keep doing what is right. We go through times of difficulty, trials, but like the Lord told Joshua, we need to get back up and enter the fight again. Anyway, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 2 through 15, I'm going to, 16, I'm going to read that. It says, Receive us, we have wronged no man, we have corrupted no man, we have defrauded no man. I speak not this to condemn you, for I have said before that ye are in our hearts to die and live with you. Great is my boldness of speech toward you, great is my glorying of you. I am filled with comfort, I am exceeding joyful in all our tribulation. For when we were come into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Without were fightings, within were fears. So here, here's Paul going through some of those things we're talking about in Sunday school this morning that Samuel was going through. Nevertheless, here's the therefore. Nevertheless, God that comforteth those that are cast down, comforteth us by the coming of Titus, not by his coming only, but by the consolation wherewith he was comforted in you, when he told us your earnest desire, your mourning, your fervent mind toward me, so that I rejoice the more. For though I made you sorry with a letter, I do not repent, though I did repent, for I perceive that the same epistle hath made you sorry, though it were but for a season. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrowed to repentance. For ye were made sorry after a godly manner, that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented up. You know, you know when a person gets saved, they don't, they don't change their mind about that. They don't want to go back to what it was before. So no, there's no one, I never heard of somebody saying, well, I got saved, then I want to turn around and I want to go back to the world. No. We hear of people that go to the world, but I think most times they never really were saved. Um, anyway, he says, not to be repented of, verse 10, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. For behold, this selfsame thing, ye sorrowed after a godly sort. What carefulness it wrought in you, yea, what clearing of yourselves, yea, what indignation, yea, what fear, yea, what behemoth desire, what zeal, yea, what revenge. In all things ye have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. Wherefore, though I wrote unto you, I did it not for his cause that had done the wrong, nor for his cause that suffered the wrong, but that our care for you in the sight of God might appear unto you. Therefore, we were comforted in your comfort, yea, and exceedingly the more joyed we for the joy of Titus, because his spirit was refreshed by you all. For if I boasted anything of him, to him of you, I am not ashamed. But as we spake all things to you in truth, even so our boasting which I made before thee, before Titus, is found a truth. 
And his inward affection is more abundant toward you, whilst he remembereth the obedience of you all, how with fear and trembling ye received him. I therefore rejoice that I have confidence in you in all things. The title of the message this morning is Restoration Through Repentance. Restoration Through Repentance. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity and privilege we have to open your precious word. And I pray as we look into the word of God today that you would clear our minds and our hearts and allow the Spirit of God to teach us and instruct us and uh, help us to not only he who hears the word, but to be doers, to act upon the word of God in faith but, and, and trust, uh, relying on your word to uh, put, and helping us to put it into practice in everyday life. Uh, for our good and for thy glory, we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, one of the doctrines that divides independent Baptists is this doctrine of repentance. With the easy believism, Howell's methodology of soul winning, they define repentance as simply a change of unbelief to belief. Even to go so far as to say that repentance is not necessary for salvation. After all, it's not mentioned in the book of John. So they say. Jesus stated plainly in Luke 13, verses 3 and verse 5, Except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. I think that ought to settle the argument. John the Baptist in Luke 3, 8 says, Bring forth therefore fruits worthy of repentance, and begin not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. You must repent. He was saying to the Pharisees, You must be, repent of trusting in your religious heritage and turn away from that and trust in the living God. See, repentance is that. It is a turning away from. Turning away from. We know that the church of Thessalonica turned to God from idols. That again is repentance. You know, very many are very zealous in their soul winning efforts, but without repentance, they are in vain. The Bible tells us in Matthew 23, verse 15, that even the Pharisees, Jesus said to the Pharisees, Woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, ye compass land and sea to make one proselyte. In other words, you go everywhere trying to make converts to your religious system. They're very zealous about it. But he said, and then, when he is made, you make him twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. You make him religious and hard to accept the truth. Hardened against the truth. This is the thing that this system of soul winning, this method of soul winning of E.B. Believism has done to America, to our world. So this morning I'm going to look at several things. First of all, repentance is not, first of all, repentance is not sorrow. Notice in verse 10, For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. In Matthew chapter 27, in Matthew 27, and verses 1 through 5, speaking of Judas, it says, and when the morning was come, Matthew 27, 1, when the morning was come, all the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. 
When they bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. Then, okay, then, I want you to think about the circumstances here. So Judas now sees that these religious bigots, these Pharisees, their purpose of arresting Jesus is to put him to death. And it says, then Judas, which had betrayed him when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned in that I have betrayed innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? Basically, we don't care. We don't care. We don't care what you've done. You know what they're really saying? We don't care about you either. They got what they wanted out of him, and they didn't care about him. See thou to that. And he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. You know, here was a man who repented himself. In other words, he had sorrow. He had guilt over what he had done. But it only went as far as himself. He was sorry for what he did. But it was sorrow of the world. In Numbers 14, the children of Israel, verse 1 tells, they cried and they wept aloud. But you know what? It didn't, it didn't bring about faith. It didn't bring about action or, or taking God at His word and going into the land. No, they, they refused to have faith in God. Verse 39 says, they mourned greatly. They had sorrow. One commentator said this, quote, sorrow alone accomplishes nothing. Peter was sorry he denied Christ. He repented. Judas was sorry he betrayed Christ, but instead of repenting, he killed himself. Unquote. You know, 1 Kings 21.20 says, And Ahab said to Elijah, Hast thou found me, O mine enemy? And he answered, I have found thee, because thou hast sold thyself to work evil in the sight of the Lord. You know, uh, 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 Elijah had found out that Ahab had killed Nadab, or, or not Nadab, um, yeah, yeah. Nadab. Was it Nadab? Naboth, I'm sorry, Naboth, thank you. Naboth and his family to get his, and so he'd been found out. And the Bible says that he mourned, put on sackcloth and ashes, and went softly. But God still judged him and his house. He mourned, but he didn't repent. He didn't repent. During Jesus' earthly ministry, those who were, who, who were stained by the filthiness of the flesh, such as the harlots and tax collectors, found it easy to come to Christ. But the interesting thing is, those who are stained with the filthiness of the Spirit, as it says in, in 2 Corinthians 7.1, such as the scribes and Pharisees, refused to come to Christ for they were not willing to repent. For example, the rich young ruler. We would say he was, he was a model. I mean, he lived a good, clean life. But you know what? He had some sins of the Spirit. Covetousness. And the Bible says that he went away, what? Sorrowful. Sorrowful. But unrepentant. Unchanged. See, repentance is not sorrow. 
Repentance, secondly, repentance requires that we would take responsibility for our sin. Notice verses 9 through 11. Now I rejoice, not you made sorry, but you sorrowed to repentance. For you made sorry after a godly manner that you might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. For behold, this selfsame thing that you saw it after a godly sort, what carefulness it wrought in you, yea, what clearing of yourselves, yea, what indignation, yea, what fear, yea, what vehement desire, yea, what zeal, yea, what revenge. In all things you have proved yourselves clear, to be clear in this matter. Now, many think that this was just repentance concerning the man that had committed fornication. We know that in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul addressed an issue that was prevalent, that was in the church, taking place in the church where a man was committing fornication with his father's wife, and Paul told them, instructed them that they needed to discipline him, and, and, and so on and so forth. But, if you read 1 Corinthians, there was much more that Paul addressed, and corrected, and, and rebuked them for than just this man. There was divisions. There was these party cliques. There was the rich and the poor. And they, you know, they were violating the Lord's Supper by these, these divisions they had in the church. So there was these real attitude problems that were very prevalent in the church. And if you notice, he says here in, in verse uh, 11, for this, behold, this self-same thing that ye sorrowed, not he or thee, it's ye, and ye in the Bible, in the King James Bible, is always plural. When it's a why, it means it's plural. If it's a T, like thee or thou, it's always singular. And so, this is plural. See, there were not only sins of the flesh, like this fornication at Corinth, there were sins of the Spirit. For example, if you look back to chapter 7, verse 1, the Bible tells us, Have therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the in the fear of God. So, so these were these sins of the Spirit. Things would have to do with our disposition, our attitudes, our reactions, our responses. You know, how our reactions are carried out. And here's, here's the serious thing about sins of the Spirit. They can be more damaging than sins of the flesh. More hurtful. You know, it could be how we as parents correct our children or respond to one another. You know, 1 Corinthians, again, describes, you know, chapters 1 through 3, describes for us the divisions in the church, which are fruits of pride and arrogance, which lead to malice and ill feelings, which was demonstrated by the church by a lack of love one for another. I mean, they were poor people who didn't have anything, and they were coming to this 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 fellowship feast, which they had before the Lord's Supper, and, and they didn't have anything to eat. And over here, there's these rich and wealthy people who have this abundance of stuff, but they would not share it with these poor people. You know, this wasn't a welfare situation. You know, these people just didn't... They may have been slaves. Just having enough just to get by from day to day. 
You see, Paul, and Paul said, why do you, why do you do this and defile the Lord's Supper? See, these are sins of the Spirit. Campbell Morgan said, quote, Our pride, our legalism, our self-focus, our self-righteousness, our bitterness, and our hatred can all be far worse to deal with than the more obvious sins of the flesh. There is a defilement of the Spirit which is independent of the defilement of the flesh. The Spirit can be defiled in many ways, I sometimes think that the sins of the Spirit are more deadly than the sins of the flesh, unquote. You know, Proverbs 6 says there's six things the Lord hates, seven are an abomination in them. And you know what the first one is? A proud look. That's the sin of the Spirit. Heart that devises wicked imaginations. He that soweth discord among the brethren. These are all sins of the Spirit. They're not sins of the flesh. And we're not minimizing sins of the flesh. They are serious issues, but it's sins of the Spirit that can be more damaging than sins of the flesh. Ephesians 4, verses 30 through 34, 32 says, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed on the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking put away from you all malice. These are all sins of the Spirit. You know, the, our disposition uh, have to do with our attitudes and our reactions, our responses, our choices. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. And then he goes on to address some sins of the flesh. It's not either or or. It's we need to give up both. They're all defiling. But you know, oftentimes the sins of the Spirit are not as easily seen. But sometimes it's the things that are not seen that are more damning than the things that are seen. You know, Proverbs 17, 27 says, He that hath knowledge spareth his words, and a man of understanding is of an excellent spirit. You know, a man of understanding is one who's of a good or pleasant demeanor or disposition. You know, as a farmer, we would say a cow with a bad disposition is one who would fight you as you tried to relieve, and I'm saying this properly, to relieve her of her milk. My brother dairied for a while, and he had this cow that they there were certain things they couldn't do with her. You know, often when we, when we, we prep a cow for milking, you wash her udder with warm water, and it's supposed to create a sensation in the brain that releases an oxytocin, which is what we call let down. It means she'll let her milk down. And usually you have three to five minutes. That's how long that works. And so there's, there's a period of time there. It's best to milk her after you wash that. And, and it's a sense that goes off in the brain anyway. But, and then we always check them for mastitis, infection in the udder. So you would have a, you'd strip a little bit out by hand before you put the milker on. Not this cow. She would fight you. She would kick you. She would do everything she could to prevent you from stripping her. 
She had a bad disposition. Her and I had a battle one day, and I won. It changed her disposition. She was just cantankerous. My brother wasn't quite heavy enough to win the battle. She could move him around. But anyway, you know, we would say she had a bad disposition. Roy Lawrence said, quote, There are defiling traits of character. One can defile and soil home life by a selfish disposition. He can spoil the lives and peace of other people by contentious and troublesome spirit. You see, we have to, repentance requires that we take responsibility for our sin, whatever it may be. Verse 11 here again, it says, Yea, what clearing of yourselves. Clearing of yourselves. To be responsible means answerable or accountable as for something within one's power or control. You know, and we have to take responsibility. Thinking about taking responsibility, we have to take responsibility for our thoughts, our feelings, our words, our actions. You know, we are to take responsibility for our life. Take responsibility for your power of thinking, feeling, speaking, acting. It's, it's you and I that create our thoughts, our feelings, our words and actions, and we have to take responsibility for them. They come from our minds. The words you speak come from your mouth. The actions you take are your choices. You know, nobody else can make you think, feel, or say, do anything. You know, we like to use this phrase, well, he just made me mad. No. No. Hmm. He just did something you didn't like, and you chose to get mad. No, I don't like that. Because there have been a lot of times people may be mad. But the truth is, me getting mad is my choice. The worst thing I ever read or heard was, as Francis Havergal said, he that can make you angry controls you. In other words, you're not in control of your own self if somebody else can make you angry. You see, it goes back to we have to take responsibility for our actions. Nobody can push your buttons because you are the button maker. So we have to take responsibility for our thoughts. We have, Responsible people don't blame others. We have to stop blaming others. Whether it be our spouse, our parents, or economy, my my parents made me go to church, or the economy, or your upbringing, or the dog for your misfortune, whatever it is. See, blaming others keeps you in the victim mode, and then it excuses your sin and robs you of victory and of you changing your situation. You know, Paul's telling him, look, you can't blame anyone else. These are your choices. Responsible people are not complainers. 
Complaining is another form of blaming, playing victim as if we have no choice. You know, we used to hear this saying, no one loves me, everyone hates me, I guess I'll just go eat worms. You know, that demonstrates a selfish focus. You know, David could have had that attitude. While all of his brothers were taken in there to see what was going to happen to the sacrifice with the prophet, the man of God, David was left out in the field. A selfish focus on things you lack, things going wrong in your life, or things happening to you. You know, in everything not going according to a plan, sometimes there's a gift in that. If you look at the bigger picture. Let me ask you something. The guy that was left out in the field, David, of all his family, which one developed a heart after God? It was the one left out there in the field. While they were in getting the accolades and the praise, David was fellowshipping with the Lord. Learning to trust God. Learning to trust God. So you need to ask yourself in this, in whatever situation it might be, what is the thing here I can learn from this? How can I improve from this? How can I change? In fact, go to Psalm 141. Psalm 141. <clears throat> Psalm 141, verse 5 says, Let the righteous smite me. It shall be a kindness. Let him reprove me. It shall be an excellent oil, which shall not break my head, for yet my prayer also shall be in their calamity. So he says, Let the righteous smite me. You know, to smite me means to, to, to buffet you. And he says, it'll be a kindness. Let him reprove me. You see, Paul is reproving these Corinthian believers, and he says, he said, uh, though I made you sorry with a letter, I do not repent. Because it brought about fruit in your life. Me smiting you with these words and rebuking you with this, it brought about fruit, a proper response. You oftentimes, you know, I've had marriage counseling with people over the years and he comes to me and he wants her fixed. She comes to me and she wants him fixed. Too few want to fix or change themselves. The problem is always her or him. Not what can I do to change myself. Of course, that's human nature. You know, we want someone else to fix our problems without changing ourselves. No, repentance means you take responsibility for your sin, for what you have done wrong. Verse 11 here says, 
at the end of the verse, in all things ye have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. You know, they, they, they approved themselves. They proved by their actions that they had, they had, uh, uh, exhibited true repentance. There was carefulness. There was clearing. There was indignation. Carefulness means there was an earnestness. There was a diligence there. There was a, a, a clear paying attention to what was going on. A clearing, a plea, an apology. This is, this is the word, the word clearing here is the word apologia. Has the idea of apology. To clear oneself. Indignation, strong displeasure at something considered unjust or offensive. Again, this is repentance toward God. So they're looking at this from God's perspective. You know, as it says in verse one of chapter seven, perfecting holiness in the fear of God, in other words, in the respect or reverence for God, not about what is done to man, but in reverence to God. So as they're looking to God, they they're seeing their sin as offensive to God. And so there's indignation. Fear, again, reverence for God is holiness, that he was offended. There's zeal. There was a pursuing of making things right. And then he says, what revenge? You know, they, they were, they were quick to, and made effort to vindicate one from the wrongs. And they took steps to exemplify or prove themselves right before God. So again, Paul was confronting the Corinthians of, of their wrong treatment of each other and with the divisions that they were causing one themselves and and he said, you repented after a godly sort. It brought this clearing of your sins. And this repentance, of course, is the requisition to a clear conscience and the joy of the Lord. Notice verse 11 again through 13. It says, for behold, this selfsame thing, he saw it after a godly sort. What carefulness it wrought in you, yea, what clearing of yourselves, yea, what indignation, yea, what fear, yea, what vehement desire, yea, what zeal, yea, what revenge. In all things ye have proved yourselves to be clear in this matter. Wherefore, though I wrote unto you, I did it not for the cause that had done the wrong, nor for his cause that suffered the wrong, but that our care for you in the sight of God might appear unto you. Therefore, we were comforted in your comfort, yea, and re- Seemingly, the more joyed we for the joy of Titus because his spirit was refreshed by you all. You see, this repentance, this clearing of themselves brought, and approving themselves, that means they, they, the word approved there means to show, to exhibit, uh, that they were pure from every fault. You see, when, when we are divided in disagreement, we have ill feelings toward each other, there is not joy in our relationship. In fact, you know, when there's divisions, do you like to be around somebody that you don't agree with? That you're having odds with? Or somebody that's got a bad disposition? But when we repent of our sin, the joy of the Lord and that fellowship with Him is restored and with one another. Somebody said, quote, in sin, the pleasure passeth, the sorrow remaineth. But in repentance, the sorrow passeth, the pleasure abideth forever. 
God soon poureth the oil of gladness into broken hearts, unquote. You see, in sin, the pleasure we experience from our sin is short-lived. The gratification of the moment. You know, I got mad and I told him a thing or two. That's the gratification of the moment. But sorrow and guilt of the sin remains. You know, Judas enjoyed getting... I, I just imagine Judas getting that 30 pieces of silver and sitting down with it, counting. One, two, three, four, five, 28, 29, 30. I got 30 pieces of silver, and all I had to do was identify who Jesus was in the dark. I just, oh, that's just wonderful. That was just so great at the moment. When they sent him to Pontius Pilate, he realized what he had done. And there was no joy. All that remained was sorrow. You see, in repentance, the sorrow passes with confession and forgiveness and the pleasure of the clearing of guilt and the fellowship restored abides forever. The old Peter was never the same. He never longer looked at himself as, just so you know, I'm Peter. Do you know, do you know that my name means rock? And did you know that I am the spokesman for this group. That I was chosen to go with the Lord up onto the Mount of Transfiguration, and it was I who spoke there. And though all may deny thee, I will not. Nobody will pressure me into denying my Lord. Do you know what your Lord used to humble Peter? A rooster. You know, I had to think about that a little bit. And I thought if the Lord had a sense of humor, he would have had he would have just said to Peter, Hey Peter, get off your roost. You've propped yourself up on a roost, someplace you don't belong. You're filled with pride. You need to get off your roost. So a rooster crowed to remind him he needed to get off his roost. Sometimes we just need to get off our roost and realize that we are the problem. Peter, it's not the damsel. It's not the maid. And it's not that those stood by that asked you if you were one of them. That was the problem. It is you that is the problem. You need to And of course, we know that Peter did. And Peter was never the same. Never the same. And then I want you to notice, fourthly, that repentance is turning. It is a surrender of the heart 
to God. Verse 10 says, For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. You know, repentance must never be thought of as something we must do before we can come back to God. Repentance, someone said, quote, Repentance describes the very act of coming to God. You can't turn towards God without turning from things that he is against, unquote. So like I said on Thursday night, you know, I saw that billboard out there on right one of a guy that said, picture of a man, I'm conservative, I'm a veteran, I'm voting for Biden. And I said, that's a contradiction. That's a contradiction. Either that he's the biggest ignoramus in the world. You see, for a man to go on and live in sin after he supposedly is born again, given the life of God, demonstrates there's no turning away from sin. There's no repentance. And again, this quote, repentance describes the very act of coming to God. You can't turn towards God without turning from the things he is against. And that's what 1 Thessalonians Chapter 1, verse 9 tells us they turned to God from idols. So they turned away from their idols. They no longer trusted their idols. They no longer worshipped their idols. They turned to God. That's the act of salvation. Repentance and faith. It's, it's basically one act. It is turning away from trust in self, in trust in people, in trust in things, to trust or faith in Christ. And when we repent of our sin, filthiness recedes as holiness proceeds. Filthiness, or those things that defile us, go out as holiness comes in. Your holiness is not just the absence of filthiness. It is not the state of a religious, quote, religious vacuum. It is the fullness of the Spirit. It is to know and experience the presence and peace and power of God in your life, holiness is a life of Christ in you. And this is brought about by repentance from, from these defiling things. Royal Lawrence said, quote, if you take God out of life, everyday life, we have life then life is to, of, to no good or intelligent purpose. This is what makes so much modern Christianity, quote-unquote, useless. But people say, well, just believe on the Lord and thou shalt be saved. You know, having God in your life is more than just believing in a supreme being. Many people believe in God who do not have faith in God. One is an attitude while the other is an act of the will. Let me try to illustrate that for you. Joe Biden believes in America. He believes in the founding fathers. He believes in a constitution. He believes in a free market system. And he believes there are Americans. President Trump doesn't just believe in America. Or just believe in a constitution. 
He has faith in America. He has faith in a capitalist free market system. See, he has faith that the ideas that the founders presented us with work. And he has faith in them. He trusts in them that they will work. He has embraced those ideas and made them his own. And he believes that they will work for the American people. See, you may believe in the necessity of food. But believing in the necessity of food does not supply your body with nourishment. You must act on that belief. You must take food into your body before belief has any practical value. You know, Joshua Dow was a young law student who studied the claims of Jesus Christ. And he was brought face to face with the conclusion that all that the Bible claims about Jesus Christ is true. But he was still not saved. For months, though under conviction, he would not act on that belief. That conclusion that he came to in his mind. And here's why. Because he knew it meant a change in his life. You know what the problem was? He wasn't willing to repent. And he went for some months. And he said, I was a miserable, miserable man. But he said, I was a bitter man. I hated my dad. His dad was an alcoholic. But he knew that if he was to trust Christ, it meant he had to give up that bitterness against his dad. And he finally did. See, until your faith acts on what you believe, God will be no practical part of your life. Belief in God is like a conception, it's like an idea. Faith in God requires a decision. Belief results in a conclusion. Faith results in conversion, a turning around. And that's what repentance is. It's a turning around. It's a clearing of yourselves. It is approving yourselves, not in the sight of man, but in the sight of God. You know, some time ago, Dave and I went through a Bible study with a couple. And they believed it. But they're still lost. See, they refuse to repent of their sin. They're unwilling to change their lifestyle. I've been to see them since. See, they're living together unmarried. And they're not willing to change it. They didn't discount anything I said that we said to them. You see, it is conversion, it is repentance which brings the life of God and the joy of the Lord into the life of one. 
And Paul said to these Corinthians, you, got, you, you repented after a godly sort. See, repentance is, biblical repentance is a surrender to. It's a turning to. John the Baptist is saying, look, you need to turn away from your trusting in Abraham and you need to turn to your trust in God. There must be a turning away from. He's saying to these Corinthian Christians, look, you need to repent of your sin that is, that's prevalent in your church so that you can perfect holiness in the fear of God for out of reverence and respect for God. You need to turn away from your sin. See, repentance is what brings us into a relationship with God and it's repentance of our sin when we sin as a Christian that brings us back into a right relationship with God. Fellowship. Restores that fellowship. See, these Corinthians were out of fellowship not only with each other, they were out of fellowship with God. But when they repented of their sin, they got in right fellowship with God and they got in right fellowship with each other. And it brought, again, the joy of the Lord in their midst and confidence in them. Notice verse 16, he says, And I rejoice therefore that I have confidence in you in all things. So, repentance. Restoration is through repentance. Now, how is your walk with the Lord this morning? Or are there some things in your life that you need to repent of? You need to take responsibility and repent of. But if you're here this morning, you never repented of your sin, put your faith and trust in Christ as Lord and Savior. You need to turn away from whatever it is you're trusting in. Put your faith. Rest your case, if you will, on the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance. It is necessary for salvation. And it is necessary for a child of God to continue in a right fellowship with the Lord.